right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to True Life Community Church, a place where we are finding our true lives in Christ. And um, if you've been around at all or uh, been talking with me or Doug or anyone else, elders at the church, um, you would you may or may not know all the exciting things that are happening and about to happen at True Life Community Church. We talked about BBS. We've talked about the Hispanic church that um, is, is meeting here on Friday nights for Bible studies. Uh, we've talked about partnerships in the community. We're starting back our big food drives um, on the last Saturday of every other month, starting in August. Uh, we'll be doing that. We have a mobile uh, food trailer that's going out to some of our local communities that we're working through. Um, there's just so many things that God is doing. Doug talked about Awana, uh, the Awana program for kids on Wednesday evenings um, that is going to be taking place, youth uh, starting back up again. Um, there's some things that I'm praying and working through as, as far as the future of True Life Community Church, just ways that we can love and be part of our community even more. Um, I haven't worked through that with the elders yet, so praying through that, but those things are coming. Like this is a, this is a church on the move. Like we're not sitting still. We're continuing to do what God has called us to do. Um, but the big but in that is that we have to do it through our weakness. We can't do it on our own. We, it has to be God. It has to be God directing us, giving us the vision, giving us the resources to do it. Um, that has to be the way that it's done. Like God works through our weakness. Um, and so you start thinking about that and thinking about just presenting God's word uh, to you this morning is that I can't really do that. Like, God has to do that through me. I put the work in, but then I'm totally dependent upon him to do it. But the vision of True Life Community Church, that we would love Jesus, we would love one another, right? We would be a community, like a family that just truly loves one another. And a community for our community that loves our community dearly. And that's one reason we're doing the backpacks and, and different things that we're doing because we want to be about being missional, like being about our community. Um, but in order to do all these things, uh, we probably need to look back at the first century church and say, what were they doing and how are they looking at things? And one of the things that they would do is they would look at the Psalms. I heard someone say that Jesus told us what to pray, the Lord's Prayer, but the psalm tells us how to pray. And so as we look at Psalm 110 today, uh, what I would like encourage you to do is, I read the verses and you see the verses on the screen or the Bible that you have, pick out one or two things that you think the first church as they read and studied and, and, and spoke and prayed through Psalm 110, what are you things, some things you think specifically that they would have prayed together to God about specifically? And so I've titled this sermon, we're in the summer of Psalms, and I've titled this sermon, When God Speaks, Psalm 110. And so with that, let's pray and go to the Lord. Dear the Father, Lord, I thank you for, we thank you for today, we thank you for your word, that you spoke, that these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down, that they are your words meant for, meant for us this morning. I pray, Lord, through your word and through your power that you would speak into all of our hearts, 
that you would remind us of who you are, how big you are, how holy, how loving, how caring, the mission that you have given us. So I pray that you would speak in that into us this morning and all God's people said, amen. I told you like a few months ago, I wanted to be a little bit more authentic with you. And so being in that spirit, I grew up in southern Missouri and spent most of my time before we moved here in southern Missouri. And when I first moved here, I thought, man, it's just so flat and kind of ugly and just a bunch of corn and soy. Please don't nobody throw anything at me if you grew up in this area. But I missed the hills and the trees and the creeks and all those things that I, that I grew up in. But what I got to notice, beginning to notice early on, were the sunsets. Like, the sunsets here are amazing, aren't they? If you ever notice, like you're driving out Newtown Boulevard here and you look out toward the river in the evening times, the sunsets are just, they're amazing. And that kind of covers a little bit of the beauty from coming from southern Missouri. And one would think, like, a sunset over time, it would get boring, right? Like, you would say, oh, I've seen that before. not going to pay any attention to that. But I find it captivating me every time that I look at it. And I stop, and I look, and I pull over, and I get that glimpse. And it reminds me of, of God. Like, the Bible says that we can see God in nature, and it's almost as like he's speaking, and God's word in the Bible, like it, it doesn't get old. It's, it's a new to me every day as I, as I read it and study it, that God speaks to me. It's kind of like a sunset, like you would think that it would get old, but it, but it doesn't. That it's, I see the sunset as God is revealing himself to me, and for a fleeting moment, there is something bigger than myself. And it helps me to go from being self-centered to God-centered. Same thing with the word of God. And I think in the world that we're living in today, it's a lot about ego. And when I mean ego, I mean our identity. That sometimes we, we think we look inside ourselves of who we are and we come up with an identity. And a lot of times, it's usually not God. And I would say that this isn't something that's new. The early Christians struggled with this as well. And when they struggled with this, they looked at something specific that they prayed about, that they talked about to help them to become more God-centered and less less self-centered. One of those being Psalm 110. Psalm 110, we see this here. It says a psalm of David. And if you've been here, you may have heard me say about the psalms of David. And David was a shepherd, right? Then he slayed Goliath, so he was a a warrior. He was a king, right? King David. But he was also a prophet. Most people don't think of David as being a prophet, but yet he was, in his own right, a prophet. And here in Psalm 110, David is prophesying about 
the Messiah, about Jesus. And here we get to see a glimpse through David and what he's prophesying of a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. So when you hear these verses being read or you read them, think of it as a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Let's look at verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And at first notice, you may not think anything about that. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But on further examination, you will see the first Lord, L-O-R-D, is all in caps. L-O-R-D. Until you say to my Lord, and that second one, Lord, is capital L, but the rest of the words are lowercase. And what we see in the Hebrew and the Old Testament Bible that a lot of times when Lord is all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, it means Yahweh, right? Y-H-W-H. Now, we didn't know how to pronounce that. No one did, so they put the, the vowels in there to be Yahweh. Now, it could mean the triune God, the Godhead, the Trinity, as capital L-O-R-D. It could mean that. But here in this case is the second time that it could be used is for God the Father. So here it's saying, the Lord, God the Father, says to my Lord. And my is David, he's saying my Lord. So he's putting the second Lord above himself, and he's saying capital L, Lord. Lord said to my Lord. Now another way of saying Lord was Adonai. Adonai, which means someone above you is Lord. But here that someone is above you, capital L, Lord, is specifically meaning the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Putting David was putting Jesus above himself. He says to my my Lord. A lot of times we see in the Hebrew text that they will not even say Yahweh because Yahweh is such a holy name that they would change it to, to Lord. They would change it to Adonai. So here we see a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. We also see Jesus quoting this verse 1 in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to go, I think up on the screen we got verse 43 through 45. I'm just going to go ahead and read 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Jesus was good at that, right? Just ask good questions. Saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Well, he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. 
Verse 45, if then David calls him Lord, Jesus is saying, how is he his son? Verse 46, I love this part. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. They're like, you are a Pharisee. You sing and talk about Psalm 110 all the time. How did you not know? How did you not know this? Isn't that great? So they asked him, who is this Christ? And who his son is he? And the answer they gave him, he didn't ask any more questions. We see this Psalm 110 quoted Peter on the day of Pentecost when he preached in Acts chapter 2. We see it with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 26. And we see it also from the author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 13. And there, they're talking about that Jesus here, they're referencing Psalm 110, and they're saying, hey, he's above the angels. And so throughout the, the New Testament, plenty, many, many references of Psalm 110. Of any other psalm in the Old Testament, 110 is referenced around 27 times <laughs> as a way to say that Jesus his authority is above everyone. It's above David. It's above the angels. It's above everyone. And you see the early Christian communities put Psalm 110 in high regard. In very high regard. In the one who speaks and things happen. In the early Christians, they had a mission. They were given a mission from God. And as flawed as they were, the only way that they knew how to fulfill the mission that God had given them was to begin to pray Psalm 110. And they knew they were, if they prayed and they talked about and they meditated on Psalm 110, the reason that they did that was because they knew the only way things are going to happen is if God speaks. So they prayed. The only way that we can be a church that loves one another, that the outside world says, that is something I've been looking for. The way that we love our community and our neighbors, for that to be the light of the world, the only way that we can do that is for us to pray. To ask the one who can, who speaks, and things happen. That is the only way. Because it puts us in a position of weakness to say we need the God on high to do this. Verse 1, again, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We, just, we sang earlier that Christ has risen. We sing about that. And we praise that. He's been risen, and now we say he sits at the right-hand throne of God. It's a position of authority. It's a, it's a position of honor. God the Father says, sit here, and I will make your enemies your footstool. And I think sometimes we as Christians need to be reminded of that. That the fight belongs to God. We need to give it to him. To rest. Let the God of the universe fight our battles. 
make our enemies our footstools. Verse 2 through 3, the Lord send forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Anyone ever heard of Salt Springs Island, Canada? Anyone ever been there? Doug, you're close. You lived close to Canada there for a while. You ever heard of? No, I've never heard of that either. There's a famous guy that actually lives there in Canada. His name is Mark Frazier. In 1995, Mark Frazier, he wanted a laser pointer really bad. He was a teacher, instructor, and all the other teachers, instructors had laser pointers. He wanted a laser pointer, but he couldn't afford one. So he tried to create his own laser pointer. Like he had all the electrical components, but he couldn't quite get it to work just right. So he heard about this website, and he goes on there, and he finds a broken laser pointer had the parts that he needed, and he purchased it. Turns out it was the very first purchase in 1995 on eBay, very first purchase. Didn't know if you knew that or not. The laser bro- a broken laser pointer on eBay. And they asked him, what did you think about purchasing the first thing on eBay, and it was broken? He said, that was fine because it was a bargain. I got a bargain. I was looking for a bargain, and it did not disappoint. So as I'm reading this, I wonder sometimes when we read the Bible, and this is speaking to me as a human being who's sinful, I wonder sometimes when we read the Bible and we look at this as a prayer, if we're looking for a bargain. And we're looking for, how does this benefit me today? I read that and I say, I don't know how this benefits me. I don't see where the, the bargain is for me on this. And I think sometimes we may look even that in, in church even. Like, where is the benefit to me? Like, what's the best deal that I could get? Versus looking at this the the way that God would have us to look at it. We, We read Psalm 23, like Psalm 110 back in the day, first Christians, that was their psalm. Today is probably Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green power. He leads me beside still waters. Now, there's a bargain there. That helps me a lot. I want rest. I I want to be led beside still water. I, I want this to be a benefit to me. But when we read and start praying Psalm 110, like, I I start reading that. I'm just like, I'm going to check Facebook real quick. Like, there, I get distracted real easy because I don't see the benefit. I don't see the bargain. It doesn't stroke our egos, our sense of self or our identity. I remember I uh, found out that my oldest son was coming into the world, and um, so I decided to drop out of college uh, for about a year and a half, and I uh, needed to work. Like, I needed to make money. I got a child coming into this world, 
And so my first job was a boat factory, and it was terrible. And so after a month, I left that. Had fiberglass in me all the time, and people were not very friendly to work with. And so I got a job in working construction and did residential construction, and then I got this commercial construction job, which paid great. I mean, it was a really good paying job, but it was hard work. Like, you're dragging rebar and running jackhammers and pouring concrete, and it was just tons and tons of work. And I remember one day I'm covered in oil because I'm cleaning the concrete forms and I'm dragging rebar, working 12 hours a day. And the foreman, he was not a very friendly guy. He was, his job was to stand in the trailer. He would count to 15 seconds, and if he didn't see you moving or doing something, he would start screaming at you and uh, give you some motivation to, to do something. And I remember one day he came up to me, and he always had this way of just, like, getting under my skin. And I think he thought it was motivating, but it wasn't. But he came up to me one day, and he goes, Gene, he said, I, I think you just think the world owes you something. Here I was covered in sweat and mud and oil, and I was so, I was like fighting mad for him to say those words to me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, why do you think that? You know, it's crazy. But as I think back on that, I, I think what happened was is it hit my identity of who I had said that, thinking that I was. And my identity was I can work hard and provide. That was who I, that's my identity. And it struck my identity. And I think that's the world that we live in. Like, we, we all have identities that we've put upon ourselves. And, and when somebody says something against that identity, or it makes us mad, doesn't it? But I think as we look through Psalm 110, it helps us it helps us with our identity. Continuing on in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, I love saying that, don't you? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. It's just such a fun word to say. I'm going to back up just on that a little bit. I want to look back at verse 3 before we go to that. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be with you. So here we're looking at identity again about volunteering. Here are people who have nominated themselves for the Lord's army. You see, Jesus is looking for volunteers. And at True Life Community Church, like my, we say like you finding your true life in Christ. And, and my prayer for you as a, a volunteer in God's army is that what you do is not out of compulsion or not feeling out of guilt, but it's voluntarily doing the things that God has called you to do on the mission that he has given us all to do. The mission to see people reconciled uh, to God, to love one another. So that is my prayer for you as a volunteer, here we see in verse 3, offers themselves freely, that you would never feel guilt-ridden or held hostage in ministry, and that, that your identity 
And if, if you can get here, this will be freeing to you. That your identity is in Christ. In Christ alone. The one that does sit at the right hand throne of God. That is where your identity is. I heard this quote that says, There are no mercenaries in this battle. No slaves in the ranks of Jesus' soldiers. This army is composed entirely of volunteers. In verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we'll get back to Melchizedek. But God says, I have sworn. The Lord Yahweh has sworn. He says, I will not relent. I have made an oath. I have pledged my name that Christ, my son, is the Messiah. I'll put my name that I will never change. That Christ is the Messiah, that he is the priest and the king forever after Melchizedek. Okay, so now Melchizedek. I just love saying that. I'll probably say it a whole bunch of times and it'll get annoying after a while. Man and I were saying like, hey, we, should, we could have named one of our kids Melchizedek. Could have named like Mel for short, maybe. But Mel. And you may be wondering, like, what is going on with this random name in the middle of Psalms, Melchizedek? Now, if you like how, like, the Bible is woven together and getting this new information, you're really going to love this. If not, hang in there. We'll be through it in just a few moments. But Melchizedek. So we see from Genesis 12 to Genesis 14 some things that are going on with Abraham. Now, Abraham, he had a nephew by the name of Lot. They were living together. They had all these sheep uh, together. And one day, it was like, there's too many sheep. We need to separate. We need to send you guys out. Abraham was like, you got to go somewhere. You can have this land or you can have this land. And Lot chose this land. Didn't choose wisely, even though it was lush, because that's where Sodom and Gomorrah is. There's a lot of really bad kings They capture him and hold him captive. Well, Abraham raises up an army, and he goes and defeats these kings, frees Lot, and the battle is won. The order of kings is what they called it. Now, on the way back, Abraham runs into a guy, a priest, a king called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham... And Abraham gives Melchizedek 10%. He ties off all the spoils, maybe off of everything that he has, showing that Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. Now, Melchizedek was a priest and a king. They called him the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Some would say it was Christ himself. Melchizedek was also, he was king over a place called Salem, Salam, king of peace. Now, Salam was an old ancient name for Jerusalem. So he was the king and the high priest of Jerusalem. It's kind of funny, too, in the Old Testament, when you see someone prominent, they really go into a lot of detail 
about like lineage, like your family history and who your mom and who your dad are and where you come from and all those things. You may be trying to read through the Bible and you're like, oh, I've got to get through this whole like lineage of who these people are. And the interesting thing about Melchizedek is they don't mention his mom, dad, anywhere that he came from. So that's why some people would say it could have been Christ himself as Melchizedek. The other interesting thing here is that Moses' brother, Aaron, he became the priest, the Levitical priest, and the lineage of the Levitical priest. You had to go into the holies of holy and to work in the temple and to be the priest. You had to be from that specific lineage of Aaron. And the interesting thing here is that Jesus was not in the lineage of Aaron. But here in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind that you, Christ, will be a priest forever. You'll be the high priest forever. You will be the king of all kings after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of of Aaron. So, you think the Bible is boring. If you study all of the ways that the Bible comes and the way that the Old Testament points to the coming and the need for the new, the, the Messiah, it will just blow your mind. So Jesus is the high priest. He is the king of righteousness, the, the king of peace. In Revelations, we see John was saying, I see a new heaven and a new earth coming. And I also see a, a new city, a, a Jerusalem, Salam coming that Jesus will be king over forever. At the end of this, I'll try to wrap this up. Verse 5 through 7, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is talking about the, the coming and the final judgment and victory of Jesus. And you say, that's really hard to read. But think of it as righteous, righteous judgment that God does. He is right. He is righteous. He is the ultimate Judge, And the judge and the victory here in Psalm 10 is saying belongs to Jesus and to Christ alone. Now, for you and me, when we look at that, we were reminded that the judgment and the victory belongs to Jesus. As volunteers in God's army, if you will, that our job, our job is to love our enemies to not take revenge. In 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says that we, as Christians, as followers, that, that we overcome the world by our faith. Our faith in the high priest. Our faith in the high king. That is how we overcome the world. That God is the judge. So our application for today is that people who pray Psalm 110, they find themselves involved with God's 
kingdom work. And they find themselves involved in the mission that God has given us here on earth. Like I said earlier that Jesus tells us what to pray. The psalm tells us how to pray. Jesus says, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. We pray that God's kingdom would come here. We, we're involved in God's kingdom work, that Jesus is the king. And that we pray for thy will to come. That we, we pray that God prays that everyone would come to faith in Jesus. So we're involved with the high priestly work of, of Jesus Christ himself as the high priest. We're involved in this reconciliation work. We don't know exactly how all that works, but, but God asks us to be involved in his king as a king and as the high priest. He asks us to be involved. You see, Psalm 110, it takes us from self-centered to God-centered. It gives us a new identity. It reminds us of that. It, it reminds us that when God speaks, things happen. Things happen. We see that in Genesis 1. We see this in Psalm 110. So my prayer for you is that you would go back to Psalm 110 this week and you would pray through it at least once this week. That you would just pray through it. So God, we see God the Father, Yahweh, he speaks, and Christ, Adonai, he becomes the Messiah. Says, you are the Messiah. You are the one that the world has been waiting for. And God will not change his mind. He's the same as he was a thousand years ago, as he is today, as he will be for eternity. He will not change his mind that the Messiah is the high priest that he made the ultimate sacrifice himself for our sins. That faith in the Messiah is what saves you. Yes, sin separates you from God, and that's what he saves you from. You've been reconciled through Christ to a holy God. But it's also your identity that enslaves you. If your identity is not in Christ, you are enslaved to something your work, your, your, your bank account, your house, you, wanting that next level in your career. Like you are enslaved to something, whatever your identity is in. Christ is calling you into a new identity as a volunteer. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says that you, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you are a new creature. You've been created new. You, you have a new identity. You've been reborn. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you live for Christ and for others, you have a new identity. You have a new mission. You have a new high priest. You have a new king. And Jesus is your king and your high priest. And he is shaping you and giving you purpose in the kingdom of God. 
And God has spoken. And he's not changing his mind. If you've never put your faith and trust in the high king and the high priest, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has risen him from the grave through his power, that Jesus has overcome death, he's overcome sin, and that now he sits at the right-hand throne of God, that you're saved. You've been given a new identity and a new purpose and a new hope. If you've never done that, I would ask that you would pray that today. You would put your faith and trust in Christ alone, in Adonai. I'd be curious to hear anyone that, as we read through this, of what you would pray based on hearing the words of Psalm 110. I'd be really curious to hear what God put on your heart. But at this moment, I would just like to pray that we would just ask the high king and the high priest to do a work in us that only he can do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, today. Thank you, God, that you spoke and everything that we know leapt into existence. Thank you that you allow us to be volunteers in your army. Thank you for giving us a mission and purpose and hope. Thank you for setting Jesus as the high priest, the king and, and priest above all. Thank you that it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon him who sits at your right hand. That you are aligned. That you have given Jesus all power and authority on heaven and on earth. Lord, we... Remember the words of your son, Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for giving it depth in Psalm 110. that you, the Lord Yahweh, says to the Lord, your son, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool, that you are worthy of honor, that I will send you to live a life that no one else can live, that you will be the high priest, that you will make the ultimate sacrifice, there does not need to be any other sacrifices. And for those that put their faith and trust in you, my son, that I will look upon them as I look upon you, as holy and righteous and just. And I will give them a new identity. That they will be in Christ and Christ will be within them. They will have a new mission. They will have hope. 
and joy and peace and love and kindness and steadfastness. Lord, we cannot do that on our own. Lord, help us to focus our eyes on Christ who sits at your right hand throne and depend upon him to do this work within us. Lord, we are volunteers, but there is a mission that you've given us and it is really important. We need your help. We're asking you to help us. We're begging you to help us. Lord, we ask you to speak in this church and in this community because we know when you speak, things happen. Lord, we ask this not in our power and our might, but in the power and the might of the name of Jesus and all God's